Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Church by the Glades. Is anybody glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Make a little bit of noise. So it's kind of weird. I'm trying to figure out how to introduce myself right now because um, last night, we have a Saturday night service. I was preaching, and afterwards, they surprised me, and they officially ordained me as a pastor here at Church by the Glades. So allow me to reintroduce myself as Pastor Charlie Hughes this morning. And I'm beyond honored and excited and privileged and blessed, and I'm going to do my best not to cry like I did last night. But you got sit down, sit down. I got to preach. We got preaching to get to. We're going to preach this sermon together today, right? I'm a pastor now, so now you have to at least pretend like you're going to do what I say. Oh, my gosh. Is anybody excited for Christmas services starting next week? I'm so excited. We're going to talk a lot about Christmas services in the time that we have left together. But really quick, I lead the young adult ministry here at Church by the Glades called Rally, and we're doing an event this New Year's Eve. And there's some of you in this room, you've heard a lot about Rally, but maybe you're not between the ages of 18 and 30, you're more between the ages to 18 and 30 at heart. This New Year's Eve, I want to invite you to come join us at Rally. Rally is open for everyone of all ages this New Year's Eve, so bring your friends, your family, everybody you know. It's going to be such a party. I'll be preaching, and I really can't wait. But with Christmas services starting next week, I can't help but wonder. I'm just kind of weird. I've been thinking, like, what were Jesus' first words? Were they, like, cliche baby words? Were they goo-goo-ga-ga? Were they mama? Were they dad-da? Or maybe, you know, he was the son of God after all. He was all-knowing. Maybe his words, his first words were, profound. Maybe they were like, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like right out the gate, maybe his first words were something super deep. We don't know. The Bible does not tell us what Jesus' first words were. We only know what Jesus' last words were. On a mountaintop, in Galilee, after his crucifixion, following his resurrection, right before his ascension, into heaven, Jesus gave his 11 remaining disciples a story to tell, a message to spread, a assignment to accomplish, a function to fulfill, and a commission to carry. Matthew chapter 28 are Jesus' last words. They are well known as the Great Commission, and they read this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Somebody say Galilee. Galilee. To the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. 
It is not an overstatement, an exaggeration, or a dramatization of the text to say that this mission, this command, these five verses, these 95 words are the focus and focal point of all the scripture. The entire Bible is centered around this command of Christ to go and make disciples. This mission is what the Old Testament points to. This mission is what the gospels prioritize. This mission is what the rest of the New Testament exemplifies. And although this mission, this command was given directly to these 11 men on this mountaintop, it is for you and I as well. We may not have been on that mountaintop 2,000 years ago, but don't get it twisted. This commission is also ours to carry. Jesus gave this mission to these men on this mountaintop 2,000 years ago with you and I in mind. So despite what your discomfort may be telling you, and despite what you may want to believe, Jesus was not giving you an option by giving you this mission. Jesus did not say, go and spread the word if you feel like it. Jesus did not say, go and change the world if you can fit it into your busy schedule. Jesus did not say, go and make disciples if you're cool and comfortable with that. No, with all authority that he had been given in heaven and on earth, Jesus made the clear and uncompromising command to go and make disciples. If you are under the sound of my voice, whether you're watching at Lake Worth, here at Sawgrass, or from a prison, or somewhere in the world, online and you would affirm that Jesus is the son of God, he is the word made flesh, he is God incarnate, then you should feel the weight of this mission. This mission should inspire you. It should impact you. It should light a fire within you and influence every aspect of who you are, how you live, and how you love others. If you are under the sound of my voice and you consider yourself a Christian, then you must be faithful to follow this command without reservation and without hesitation because this is not the great suggestion. This is the great commission. As followers of Jesus, it is our duty. It is our job. It is our responsibility. But even more than that, it is our privilege. It is our honor. It is our blessing to make Jesus' last words our first priority. The title of this sermon this morning is Get Your Priorities Straight. Look to the person who's sitting next to you, look him dead in their eye. And tell them this morning, get your priorities straight. Get your priorities straight. Get your life together. Get your priorities straight. This commission is very clear. It means what it says. There is no hidden meaning in this text. I would argue that this commission is very compelling in that the context in which Jesus gives this mission to these men, but also to you and I, is very revealing, and I'm just kind of extra, so rather than use my words to describe the context in which this mission is given, I want to act it out. Is that okay with you guys? Say yes, I'm going to do it anyways. Is that cool? Okay, cool. So as we've already observed, Jesus gave this mission to these men on a mountaintop in the city of Galilee after his crucifixion following his resurrection, 
right before his ascension into heaven. By this point in the story, these 11 men, these disciples of Jesus had already watched Jesus be publicly humiliated, wrongly convicted, falsely accused, beaten to a pulp, and die a criminal's death on a cross. And although by now Jesus has miraculously risen from the dead and appeared to these men and told him to meet him on this mountaintop, verse 17 told us that some of these men had some doubts. They were having a hard time believing what their eyes were now seeing. And can you blame them? I mean, the images of what they witnessed Jesus endure on the cross would have still been so fresh and present in their minds. Every step they would have took up this mountain in Galilee must have been accompanied with so much skepticism, with so much confusion, with so much doubt. These men must have been thinking to themselves and saying to each other, what are we doing right now? Are we crazy? Are we sure we saw who we thought we saw? Are we sure that was Jesus who told us to meet him on this mountaintop? Are we sure that when we get to the top of this mountain in this city called Galilee, we aren't going to be just as disappointed, just as heartbroken, just as devastated as we were just a few days earlier when we watched our rabbi die on that cross at Golgotha? Despite their doubt, they pressed on. And it was at this time in this place that Jesus chose to give these men their mission. How interesting. Jesus spent three years with these dudes, 365, 24-7, for three years straight, Jesus did life with these men. Jesus could have chose at any point during the three years he spent with these men to give them their mission, to give them their marching orders, but yet Jesus chose the last time he would ever be physically present with these men to give them their mission, to emphasize in climactic fashion the urgency, necessity, and importance of the mission he was leaving them with. I also think that by receiving this mission on this mountaintop in this city called Galilee would have caused this mission to hit different in the hearts and minds of these men on this mountaintop because Galilee was known as Galilee of the Gentiles. For those of you that may not be aware, the word Gentile is a term that is used to describe anyone during this period of time who was not a follower or believer of the one true God. So by receiving this mission on this mountaintop, overlooking the city of Galilee, these men would have had the perfect view of where, what, and who God was calling them to. From this elevated perspective, these 11 men would have intuitively understood and undoubtedly recognized that they were positioned 
for the mission. But yet it's very interesting. I love the Bible and the detail it gives us. If you skip ahead a few books um, in the New Testament to the book of Acts, chapter one, verses 10 and 11, the story continues. And it says that, after Jesus gave these men their mission and he ascended into heaven, these 11 men were watching Jesus as he ascended, looking intently up into the sky, watching the clouds pass by, when all of a sudden, two men dressed in white, probably angels, appeared to them and essentially said to them, what are you doing? Why are you still here? You, you've been given your mission. You've been given your marching orders. I feel like the next steps are pretty obvious. Now move. And I think it can be really easy for us as a modern day 21st century audience sitting in this air conditioned auditorium at sea level to wanna mock and make fun of these 11 men on this mountaintop 2000 years ago. When, don't get mad at me really, some of you aren't ones to talk. Because if we're just being real, you know that you are positioned for the mission that God has given you. You know where God has called you to go. You know what God has called you to do. You know who in your life you need to invite to Christmas services here at Church by the Glades. But still, here you sit on your metaphorical mountaintop, looking intently up into the sky, waiting for something to happen, watching the clouds pass by, and God is waiting on you to move. Every mountaintop moment will leave you with a mission that will require your movement. You must move out of your shell. You must move out of your comfort zone. You must move out of your safe and certain Christian circles where others know you, like you, accept you, and believe the same as you. You must move and risk it all so someone else may potentially gain everything. You must move to spread the message. You must move to tell the story. You must move to accomplish the assignment. You must move to fulfill the function. You must move to correctly carry this commission. You must move. The first word in this command is go. You cannot make disciples by staying where you are. You must move because you possess a truth that is too good to keep to yourself. Does anybody in the room believe this? Let me give you some terrible legal advice that will not translate outside the kingdom of heaven. You do not one day want to die, stand before God, and be found guilty of possession having the hope of the world and keeping it to yourself. You want to one day die, stand before God, and be found guilty on all accounts of distribution. But maybe we're like God's little sanctified hope drug dealers. <laughs> I might get in trouble for that one. But maybe you're like, okay, okay, okay. This, this mission, this commission, definitely clear. It is compelling, and now I understand how the context in which it was given carries implications for my own life, but I'm a practical person. What, what does making disciples look like? How do I go about doing this? What are the first steps I need to take? What are the instructions I need to follow? 
These are fair questions, very fair questions. And I'm the type of person, when I'm asked to do something, I wanna make sure I know how to do what I've been asked to do. I like to think that I'm a resourceful person, but at the same time, I don't wanna guess if I'm doing something right. So if I'm asked to do something that I do not really know how to do, what I will do is I will go on YouTube or look for someone I know personally who is experienced in this thing that I've been asked to do and I'll follow their example. Lucky for you, as a follower of Jesus, you don't have to look far for a great example for how to make disciples. You have the greatest teacher that there is. His name is Professor Jesus. Jesus not only commands us to make disciples, he is the truest and most complete example of how to do so that there is. When I look and study the life and ministry of Jesus, I can't help but recognize that Jesus was a fearless and relentless inviter. Jesus was bold in his invitation both in who he chose to invite and how he chose to invite them. Making disciples starts by making bold invitations. When I look at the 12 men that Jesus invited to follow him for his three years of earthly ministry, Jesus did not wait for these men to come to him. Jesus went to them. Jesus straight up asked these dudes, to leave behind their jobs, their careers, their successful businesses, their families, their livelihoods, their friends, all they knew, had, and loved to come follow him. Jesus had no issue. Jesus had no problem making an interruptive invitation. If that's not bold, I don't know what is. Which makes me think, and I hope I can say this in a way that makes sense. Isn't it crazy? how we will say no to our invitation that we know we need to make to people in our lives that we know and love on their behalf before we ever even invite them. Isn't it crazy how we will make excuses on behalf of, pe of people in our lives that we know and love and know we need to invite before we ever even give them a chance to respond for themselves. We do this by saying and thinking things to ourselves like, oh, they're so busy. They have so much going on, there's no way they can make it. They're going to have family in town this holiday season. How will they even be able to break away and come to a Christmas service at church by the glades? I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to waste their time. I'll save this invite for another time. Jesus did not say no for anybody. We got to stop making excuses and start making invitations. While I'm ranting, let me say this. Too often, I think Christian people, myself included at times, Treat inviting our friends to church like how dysfunctional single people treat dating. Let me play hard again. Let me not show too much interest too soon. Let me wait on them to make the first move. When secure single people understand that if they put themselves out there and get rejected, 
This is not a reflection of their value or an assault on their personhood. This just means that the person they put themselves out there to was not in a space or place to recognize and see how amazing and great they are. So we show them love, we extend them mercy, and we move on to the next. We have to stop being so afraid of being rejected, and we have to stop taking no's so personally. If Jesus did not wait for people to come to him, then we can't wait for people to come to us. I'm telling you, this is not about playing hard to get. This is about putting ourselves out there, keeping those secrets, and showing all of our cards from the jump. Because if we're going to have any shot at changing the world, if we're going to have any chance at making disciples, we are going to have to be bold enough to make the first move. And let me tell you, Jesus, that man knew how to make the first move. Jesus' invite game was strong. Jesus knew how to make his invitation attractive because Jesus committed his life to following what he describes as the two greatest commandments, loving God and loving others. Hear me. Not only should our invitation be bold, but above all else, our invitation must be loving. It has to be. It must, it must, it must, it must, it must be loving. I'm of the belief that every generation has a sound. Are you guys aware of this? Every generation has a sound. Do you know this? Every generation has a sound. Do I need to prove it to you? So, I wasn't around during this time, but... In the 1980s, <laughs> the sound of the generation, the sound of the decade was nothing short of iconic. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It sounded something like video team, help me out. Then the 90s rolled around, and the sound of that generation got a little grungy. <laughs> Video team. Then the 2000s showed up, and the new millennium came with a new sound, and it has some attitude. If you had one shot, one opportunity, seize everything you ever wanted, one moment, would you capture it? 
just let it slip. Yo. And finally, the 2010s. This was a generation, a decade, where with the emergence of social media and so many different apps like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, so many different sounds are being shared all at once. So it can be hard to pinpoint exactly what the sound of the last decade was. But I think we could all agree that, for lack of better words, the sound was happy. Every generation has a sound. Now let me ask you this, it's 2022, almost 2023. What will be the sound that defines and dominates the 2020s? There is always a sound of this world that is in competition with the sound of heaven. And to be honest, in recent history, in my opinion, the sound of this world has done a much better job at making invitations than the sound of heaven has. The sound of this world makes invitations that are appealing and accommodating and attractive to behaviors and beliefs that lead people to chasing temporary highs and momentary satisfactions that feel good for a little while but ultimately only leave people feeling hopeless, hurting, and helpless. While at the same time, only to make matters worse. The sound of heaven, the sound that you and I have been commissioned and called to carry, that is supposed to be marked by a message of love, has not been represented with such a tune. You and I, we live in a modern day Galilee. I'm not sure where you're watching from right now, but our physical locations at Church by the Glades are in South Florida, and South Florida is very much a modern day Galilee. God is not the last thing on people's minds. He's not even on their minds where we live. So naturally, people are going to assume that if there is a God, he must be like the Christians who claim to represent him. Hear me, the gospel is not only a truth we are to speak and preach and shout it is a truth that we must live out. So if you live out a mean gospel, an angry gospel, a hurtful gospel, a hateful gospel, a bigoted gospel, a racist gospel, a homophobic gospel, a misogynistic gospel, then this is what others will believe the gospel is. The word gospel, the Greek word that we use to label the first four books of the New Testament that tell the story of the life and ministry of Jesus. This word 
from the original Greek translates to English to mean good news. Good news. So in this generation, we need a sound that clears the confusion. We need a sound that cuts through the noise. We need a sound that carries truth. We need a sound that communicates freedom because if our message is not marked by love, we will miss the mark of our mission. The gospel is not mean. The gospel is not angry. The gospel is not hateful. The gospel is not hurtful. The gospel is not bigoted. The gospel is not racist. The gospel is not homophobic. The gospel is not misogynistic, but the gospel is full of love. The gospel is full of mercy. The gospel is full of truth. The gospel is full of grace. The gospel is not a story of condemnation. The gospel is a story of salvation. The gospel is a story of a loving shepherd who leaves his flock of 99 to relentlessly pursue the one that is lost. The gospel is a story of a compassionate creator who left the comfort and luxury of heaven to save those he created from their own mistakes. The gospel is a story of a forgiving father who continually welcomes back home his children, who consistently disobey him and reject his love. The gospel is not bad news. The gospel is not just okay news. The gospel is good news. It's great news. It's the best news. It's incredible news. It's spectacular news. The truth of the gospel is this, that God loved you so much. He sent his one and only begotten son to live, suffer, and die in your place. So if you choose to enter into a relationship with him, you might be saved. Is there anybody in this room who knows that's good news? Make some noise this morning. You can take a seat. And what makes the truth of the gospel is so great. What really, in my mind, makes it beautiful beyond compare is the terrible punishment that Christ endured in our place. Scripture says, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin, the consequence of sin, is death. So you and I, as sinners deserve to be punished. We deserve the most ultimate and final form of punishment that there is. We don't deserve God's love. We don't deserve God's mercy. We don't deserve God's grace of anything because our sin causes God so much hurt, so much pain, so much sorrow, so much sadness, so much grief. God has every reason to forsake us, never forgive us, and forget all about us. But instead, but instead, but instead, this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the truth that is too good to keep to yourselves. This is why you need to invite every single person you know to Christmas services here at Church by the Glades. While we were still messed up, dirty, broken sinners, Christ loved you so much, he died for you. So if you want, you could enter into a relationship with him, be saved, and one day spend eternity in heaven. And I don't know about you, church, 
but because Jesus died for me, I'm going to live for him. Because Jesus redeemed and restored my soul, I'm going to represent him to the best of my ability. Because Jesus took on the pain of my punishment in my place, I will do everything in my power to preach, proclaim, and praise his name all the days of my life. Our mission is of the utmost importance. Our message is the most significant of all. The stakes are literally too high to play it safe. They are heaven and hell. They are life and death. They are purpose or punishment. Eternity hangs in the balance. This is why we cannot go silently into the night. This is why in a world that wants us to apologize for our beliefs, we cannot. This is why we must do everything and anything short of sin to tell others about Jesus. This is why we must become all things to all men so that we might win some. This is why we gotta be loud. This is why we gotta be proud. This is why we gotta shout the truth of the gospel from the rooftops if we have to. For our savior is Jesus Christ. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the prophesied Messiah. God is not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. That's why he went through all the trouble of making you, living a perfect life for you, dying on a cross for you, raising from the dead for you, so that one day he can spend eternity in heaven with you. This entire week, I've been trying to figure out how to end this sermon. And I'm reminded of the, story, of the, of the scripture that says, life is but a vapor. Eternity is a long time. Friday night, I was on Instagram and uh, I received a DM from a man in our church and he DM'd me saying, my son, who I, I've known since the second grade, got in a really bad motorcycle accident. We need a miracle. Would you give me a call? And he left me his phone number, so I called this dude's dad, this, this young man who got in the motorcycle accident, my earliest memory with him uh, is from the second grade in children's church. He was always in my age group uh, at the Wave. He attends rally regularly. He served in many different areas here at our church in the past. So I prayed with his mom and I prayed with his dad that God would do what only he can, that God would heal this dude and that God would to just make a miracle happen. And really, I, I got off that call believing like, this guy's gonna be all right. I woke up the next morning and this young man passed away. But the thing is, although we're devastated he's not here, I know he's in heaven with Jesus right now because someone loved him and loved his family enough that when he was a little boy, Someone invited them to church by the glaze. From an early age, he understood the truth of the gospel, that Jesus loved him enough to die for him. You know who in your life you need to invite to church. Maybe they haven't thought two seconds about their eternity. You start taking responsibility of their eternity for them. Let's care so much about our friend's eternity that we start making interruptive invitations. Let's care so much about the souls of our loved ones that we interrupt their busy schedules. 
Let's risk our reputations. Let's risk looking weird. Let's risk being labeled as those crazy Christians so that our friends' salvations may be secured. Only you and God know who you need to invite. That information between you and Him. Do with it what you know you need to do. Father, I thank you, Lord, for every single person under the sound of my voice. Father, right now I'm praying that you would stir their faith up, that you give them the boldness and the courage that they need to invite those who they know they need to invite to church this Christmas. Father, I pray, Lord, that these would be fruitful invitations that the people they invite would come and they would sit in these seats and because of that, they would make decisions that would one day get them into heaven, Jesus. God, we're praying for life change. We're praying for miracles. We're praying for healing. We're praying for salvation. In the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D. Hughes.